When I was in school, I had a neighbor who acted strangely. Some days she was happy, other days she was crying and wailing the entire compound down. Everyone in the compound avoided her saying she had a spiritual problem. Some even called her a witch. But on her good days, she was so sweet to me. I was the only student in the compound and to an extent, she took care of me. Fast forward to a few weeks later, when after she had her longest episode of mood swing, her family came with so many able-bodied men and bundled her away. I was lucky to see her brother, and I asked what was wrong with her. He said it's just mental health. She has bipolar and refuses to take her medications because mom said it was spiritual, and she, instead of taking her medications, needed to pray it away. On this episode of The Bearing, we'll be talking about Nigerians' attitude towards mental health, looking at some myths and misconceptions surrounding the issue. I am Lilian Ogazi, and you are welcome to The Bearing. organization, one in four Nigerians, that is some 50 million people suffer from one sort of mental illness or another. Mental health is a topic that is rarely discussed in Nigeria. Even if it is, it comes with a certain level of disdain and mockery. We have a guest to discuss this with, but before we do, let's quickly go on the streets to understand why Nigerians have a certain perception about mental health. Oftentimes, uh, people miss, uh, to misconceive people with mental health challenge, what uh, people do, like drug, putting themselves like drug abuse, uh, alcohol, and often, most times, people also uh, develop mental issues, too, uh, too much stress. So it's not everybody you see on the street with mental challenges that are being spiritual. I don't think um, mental health is is actually spiritual. It could be from drugs, hard drugs, and then it could be from depression and all sorts of that. That just like most women, after birth, most of them have what they call postpartum disorder. It could lead to a mental health when it's not being controlled. That is actually what I think. So I don't really think is that most of them is spiritual so you see it depends on the the traditional opinion of the people and ordinary village man will tell you that uh, uh, there is no death except somebody kill somebody but before God may you know that that's a death do you understand and uh, to we here in Abuja here we know that uh, normally there are causes uh, cause of some of these mentalities and mental issues and uh, if there are causes, of course, we won't see it as a, as a surprise. Yeah, they have different types of mental health. They have two types. Some is spiritual, while some is the result of drugs. And they normally take drugs. When they take drugs, they begin to misbehave in the society. That of spiritual attack, may, for example, place of birth, if they give birth to you. For example, if your mom is pregnant in the night, she normally goes out. According to what I know about it, they normally go out in the night 
with the pregnancy, according to our olden days. But me, personally, I didn't believe in that. But let me just explain my little one. I know. They say there was there was special people, baby. They normally walk walk in the night. They will change that baby to that of special baby. When they give birth to that baby, we start performing one kind of something as if it's no longer feeling all right in form of the quality in, a, in our broken, the quality of local, something like that. Uh-huh. That normally happens in our society, but in the other one again, I see the result of alcohol, smoking, drugs. That was some Nigerians expressing their views about mental health. The attitude of Nigerians towards mental health, I'd love to believe, stems from ignorance, backed by excessive holiness and spirituality. Let's have a quick chat with Bashirat Abdul-Wahal, who has struggled with mental health issues. She speaks with Bill Kisu You know what, for me, what depression was like was, you know when it wants to rain heavy, heavy rain wants to fall, and there is this thick, dark cloud, right? Mm-hmm. The nimbus cloud, like it's so dark, and you can barely see anything in the sky, and you know the rain is coming, right? Yeah. That was what depression was like for me. Hmm. Everything, the sky covering my cloud was very dark and everything did not make sense. So from being, um, you know, feeling mood swings to becoming totally uninterested in the things that would usually interest me. I'd really have my bath and I'd really eat. I barely slept. You know, it was a whole lot put together mm. and at some point I just felt like okay so what's the point like I'm so done right wow. so you get to that place where it just keeps it gets worse right from one symptom to another from that feeling of mood swings to that feeling of joylessness what we call anhedonia where you don't feel anything excites you before like the food that would generally excite you doesn't excite you the people that excite you don't excite you movies that excite you don't excite you so you're losing the zest for life wow and then it begins to affect your cognition that's your thinking pattern and that was it and so i realized i'm not thinking straight Everything didn't make sense. Nothing was exciting. Everything felt really boring and annoying. You know, I wasn't sleeping. It was a whole lot so put together, right? So yeah, what was the cause of this? Okay, so um, you know, fa- you know, rewinding back yeah. to 2015, um, the major cause was that in September 2015, I lost my spouse to a, to a heart attack. It's a brain death due to cardiac arrest. So uh, it was sudden, he wasn't sick. And while I was trying to make sense of that whole, the whole of that experience, and then I lost my dad three months later. So it was exactly three months later, and then I lost my dad. So now, I was doing well with the grief of, you know, losing my spouse until I lost my dad. And when I lost my dad, I thought, perhaps you should be used to this thing called death, loss, grieving. And so, uh, instead of me to allow myself to go through the grief, you know, and I just allow myself to just experience it, I suppressed it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to march out through it. I wanted to, I felt, well, you're used to it anyway, so just pick up yourself, bounce up and keep going. You know, I was wrong, you know, because months later, I became a complete mess, you know, total mess. <laughs> so everything came back one? at me. So I was just like a time bomb and then... Finally, I just exploded 
Uh-oh. And it was just, you know, a combination of this depression of grief and the sorrow and guilt and regret and resentment against so many people. And then there was, you know, the pain of losing a loved one, never having to see them again. Mm-hmm. And then everything together translated into what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. So yeah. that was the point that I was... And that was the trigger for the depression and the trauma that I experienced. Wow. So that was what caused all those losing it out, not talking to people, anything doesn't interest you anymore. Okay, um, so how did you come out of it? Well, coming out wasn't easy because yeah. at first I had to struggle with what is even wrong with you? Hmm. And after some time, I said, you know what, seems like you're going nuts. Something is wrong with you and you need to speak with someone. But I couldn't speak to any member of my family. (laughs) Yes, I couldn't tell any member of my family that I was going nuts. But I knew something was wrong and I knew I needed to speak with someone. So I started looking for help actively online. And I got help, you know. I found a psychiatrist who actually offered to help. And um, before you know it, I got some of the assessments done and then they prescribed some medications and also some things to do. Also referred me to another therapist, you know, and all of that. So it was a whole lot of things. And then I started to get better, you know, after a few weeks. So it wasn't like it was something that just happened automatically. But when you start to have your sleep improve, you know, and you know like <laughs> i think yesterday i was telling a friend sleep is underrated yeah it is so in that moment you know in that period i realized how important sleep was and the inability to sleep for days it's a sickness on its own so so it started, it started getting better and i was able to sleep better and then from that i started to get better you know my zest for life came back okay yes Wow, wow, that's good. But um, we, let's go back. You said you didn't even talk to your family members. They didn't notice anything happening to you at that time? They basically didn't notice until I was diagnosed by the psychiatrist. That was when I now told them that, okay, guys, I am wow. <laughs> I'm going north. I'm depressed. This is what is wrong with me. Then they were like, oh, my God. And, oh. you know, so, uh, but they didn't say it. Then that's the thing with mental health and you know depression and all of these things in trauma is that you know it's not written on your forehead. It's not like when you have a headache and you say, you know, I've got a headache. Or you have a fever and you're shivering and everybody can just see that you've got a fever. We'll be going on a quick break and when we return, the show continues. Do stay. Trendy and impactful stories of the day. Treated inside out with in-depth analysis. To give you insight into the issues that matter. The issue of injustice needs to be addressed. We are going into hell. Why are you sending your child? Why are you, are you that poor? Are you that hungry? No, we are not practicing any democracy in Nigeria. They don't deal with us well, well. Trust us on Nigeria Daily. A daily podcast from Daily Tracks. To bring to you the news behind the news. So listen in, log into our website at dailytrust.com or on bossprout.com. You can also listen in on Spotify and TuneIn Radio. Follow up on Instagram and Twitter at Daily Trust and on Facebook at Daily Trust.
welcome back. You are listening to The Bearing and we're talking about the attitude of Nigerians towards mental health. We'll be talking about some myths and misconceptions surrounding mental health in this segment. With us is Dr. Ada Ikiako, a psychiatrist. What's your take of Nigerians' perception towards mental health? Okay, Nigeria's perception of towards mental health, um, there's a lot of uh, stigmatization of mental health and patients that uh, have mental health uh, challenges. I mean, this is not just a Nigerian problem, this is a global problem, mm. you know, and so there's a wrong perception, you know, that, uh, you know, people with mental health, for instance, are violent, you know, when there's 10 times more likelihood that they're afraid that you're going to hurt them, you know, and so that's, that's the stereotypes where, you know, generalizing statements are used to describe those with mental health symptoms and discrimination as well, you know, um, where people with mental health uh, face uh, discrimination as a result of the fact that they have mental health problems. I mean, in Nigeria, we tend to see mental health as a spiritual problem. Yes. You know, and so it's either someone is doing it to me or the person that's mentally ill or... You know, someone that doesn't like me, that's trying to hurt me or my family member. So there's a lot of spiritualization of mental health symptoms. There's a lot of ignorance. Part of it is due to ignorance and lack of education, you know, about the symptoms and signs of mental health and overall awareness about mental health in general. Do you think we'll ever get past seeing mental health, like the spiritualization? Do you think we'll ever get past that in Nigeria, as Nigerians and the society in general? Yeah, it's going to take an ed- education. I mean, research says that the more educated the population is about, in general, education in general, and also education about mental health. There has to be more mental health awareness. We have to have Nigerian mental health months. We have to have uh, uh, mental health day a day where we reflect on mental health uh, in this country. We have to have different uh, times where, we, you know, we, we set aside to create awareness of mental health uh, symptoms and signs and diseases. So, yes, it's not going to happen overnight, but I believe that we are already engaged in that process and that it's a continuous process. It will involve education, it will involve awareness, it will involve... Uh, campaigns, you know, where the media will also play a role as well as civil society and all stakeholders in the mental health field. I mean, we have to allocate more of our budget to mental health. Only 3.3% of the the budget goes to uh, mental health. It's so poor. It's abysmally poor. So you see there's a disparity and all these issues must be addressed before we can have a change in terms of our attitude towards patients and and people that suffer from mental health uh, problems. There's this myth that says, you mentioned it earlier, so we'd love you to throw more light on it. Are all mental health patients violent? Because when you talk about mental health, the first thing they think about is, oh, if you go near you, they're going to bite mm-hmm. you or they're going to beat you or they're going to attack you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. are all mental health patients violent? Uh, that's a stereotype and it's a false stereotype. It's a false narrative. Most mental health patients are not violent. You know, most mental health patients are 10 times more likely to be afraid of you 
than to be violent towards you. So, you know, there are violent mental health patients, but that's by far the minority. It's a rarity. It happens, but it's by far the minority. Therefore, it's a stereotype. And that stereotype is used to uh, uh, justify stigmatization of these individuals. You know, when it's inaccurate, you know, and that's a loss of dignity, which is a fundamental human right that's protected by the Nigerian constitution, the right to dignity of every individual. And it takes away their dignity, you know, when you negatively stereotype them as, as violent, inaccurately, and as a result, then use that as a reason to discriminate against them through, through behavior, like chaining them, for instance, beating them, you know, and, and, and that's, that's against their fundamental human rights. Okay, still on debunking some myth. Now, another myth says people with mental health can snap out of it if they try hard enough. Mm-hmm. Can you mm-hmm. shed some light on that? Because you hear, I well, mean, can you snap out of your out of your genes? I mean, most mental illnesses are inherited, some as much as seventy percent. You know, can you snap out of your genes? Is that possible? The things you inherited from your mother and father, can you snap out of it? Trauma, you know, trauma inflicted. It's strange. It's um, easy to hear that because most um, in the society, someone posts online saying, oh, she had depression or she suffered depression. You find the society hitting back at her saying you could have snapped out of it. You mm-hmm. could have thought your way through it. You could have figured it mm-hmm. out. And then you still find some um, mental health advocates saying, I pulled myself out of depression. Is it possible mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do that? Um, can you pull yourself out of a broken leg? Can you pull yourself out of diabetes? And can you pull yourself out of an asthmatic attack? Mental illness is biological, right? So you have uh, abnormal levels of neurotransmitters in different parts of the brain, you know, that affect your thinking, your behavior, your mood, you know? So it, it's ignorance, really. These are ignorant statements. You know, we have to educate the population in general about the fact that mentally ill people do not pose risk, significantly increase risk to other members of society. Then we have to have campaigns that increase the level of compassion that we show towards uh, people with mental illness. You know, the fact that people, most people need help, at least 66% or more will need help some will need help for the rest of their lives. It is a form of disability. It can be. Now, finally, the final myth we have is another one that's popularized. They believe that people with mental illness or mental health problems can't live normal lives. Mm-hmm. Most of them will be able to live normal lives with support. You know, they will, they will need some form of support depending on the severity of their illness. Okay. Many of them will need to be on medication. For, for a very long time, some for life, you know, they'll need to be uh, supported with addiction treatment for those that are addicted to substances. So they can live a very normal life, but they will need support in many cases. Thank you very much, Dr. Kiako, for joining us on um, The Bearing Thank this you. Thank you. According to Limoni Snicket in the blank book, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it isn't so. What mental health needs are more sunshine, more candor, and more unashamed conversation. With that, we've come to the end of this episode of The Bearing. Thank you so much for listening. The Bearing is a Daily Trust production, and you can download this and other episodes on dailytrust.com and on bossprouts.com. To listen in, join us on Google Podcasts, 
Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. If you have questions or comments or suggestions of topics you would like us to talk about, let us know on our social media handles on Twitter and Instagram at daily underscore trust and on Facebook at daily trust. You could also send us a message via WhatsApp on 0913-893-3390. That is 0913-893-3390. Bye for now.